So today we are also um, continuing our way through the, the book of Ruth. Actually, probably it would be better to say we're completing our study of the book of Ruth today. This is a, a short book in the Old Testament, um, only four chapters. And, and it's interesting that if probably if you were an ancient Israelite reading this for the first time, you wouldn't look, o- look at it over a number of weeks, that you would look at it all at once, you know, I mean, it would be kind of like watching a movie over a few days that, I mean, it's there's something about sitting down and getting the whole um, story, Uh, but today we find ourselves in just the the final verses of this book, Um, so turn your Bible with me to the book of Ruth, um, chapter 4, and this is on page 224 in your pew Bible, Um, there are pew Bibles near you if you um, need one or or don't have one with you. So again, Ruth chapter 4, and I'll begin reading in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Zalman, Zalman fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This is the the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, the different kinds of literature that you've given in your word, that you've given wisdom and poetry and uh, narrative and Lord, just so much, and we thank you for the part that, that Ruth plays in that. And Lord, as we, as we finish our, our study today, we pray that even the, these final verses would be made clear by you, Lord, by your spirit, and that you would apply it to our lives and our heart. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I, one of my, my jobs as a pastor Uh, I believe, is to help connect people and connect the lines between two different stories. So the the one story is just the story of people's lives individually where they are. And, I mean, you, you, of course, you know the story of your own life. uh, But, I mean, even knowing some of your stories, I know that there are joys and sorrows and hardships. I, I, I know some... Um, in, in Hope Church, who are grieving the loss of loved ones, um, some who have major health issues, 
Um, some who are even wondering, am I going to be able to make it through this, this next week coming up? That we have lots of different places of our stories. But then when we come to the Bible and, and we, we come to church, then we, we confront a, another story that can sometimes feel foreign or feel distant. Because the Bible isn't just primarily a big list of rules or things that we're supposed to do, but that there's an overarching storyline to the Bible. And you may have heard before that the, the story of the Bible can be summarized in, in four chapters, creation, fall, redemption, and, and restoration. And, and so, you know, in, the, in a nutshell, the, the story of the Bible is that God created the world, he created it good, he made people in his image, uh, but then it, it fell that, that people sinned against God, they, they turned away, they did things their own way rather than God's way, and and it casts the world into the condition that we find it now of, of brokenness and, and separation from God. Uh, but the, the, thankfully, though, God didn't abandon the world, that, but he introduced the, the next chapter after fall, which is redemption. Um, and he, he promised that he would send a, a savior to redeem his people. He gave prophets, priests, and kings that, that pointed the way forward to a Messiah. And that's really the, the Old Testament in the Bible, that the story of this, this moving towards the, the redemption of the Messiah. Uh, and then in the, in the fullness of time, God sent his son who took on a perfect human nature, uh, but lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose again from the dead. Uh, but then through that redemptive work of Jesus and his life and death, then we actually can experience restoration, that our, our relationship to God is Restored, And then from that place of having a restored relationship to God, we can look forward to the restoration of all things, when, when God will renew the world and will experience new heavens and, and, and new earth. And, and so really, I mean, it, that is the, the story of the Bible, you know, stretching from, from Genesis to Revelation. But sometimes that, that big story then can feel, as I said, a little bit distant, um, and you might say, well, you know, how could a story written thousands of years ago have any relevance for my story, for my struggles? I mean, they, as you think about your life and, and whether it's depression or addiction or joys or struggles or hopes, and they're all things that you're experiencing here in the 21st century, what is the, the connection point? Well, again, that's part of my job is to show that, no, these things are intimately connected, that our story should be read and looked at in light of what, what God is doing. And that's really also what we see here in the book of Ruth, in this final section. Um, you, you notice that it ends with this genealogy, and I'm sure that your creative writing courses uh, in high school or college would not recommend this as the way to end the story, <laughs> right? So that, you, that you want something that you know, ties the pieces together, maybe this emotional climax, but then we get a list of, of names and a, and a genealogy. So what, what is going on here? Well, even as I, as I read it, you may have noticed that it, it starts with Perez. So this is the, the son of Judah. So this is the beginning of the tribes of Israel, the people of Israel, and then follows all the way from the beginning of the tribes of Israel to David, and shows where Ruth and Boaz and Naomi fall kind of within the midst of this story. And, and I've been uh, giving away the end of the story in every sermon, every sermon I've said. And by the way, this leads to David. 
because really, again, we're spreading it out, and you need to know the end of that story to make sense of the book. But if you just imagine yourself as an ancient Israelite reading this for the first time, this is where you get to the end of the movie, and then suddenly the, the twist comes, and you say, whoa, I had no idea that that was what it was all the time. And, and it would be, kind of be mind-blowing that, whoa, whoa, so Ruth is David's great-grandmother. That's, that's crazy. And so you'd want to go back and you know, wa watch the whole movie again, right? reread the story, see how all of the, the pieces fit together. And then, of course, if you were in Israel, you would also probably know that the Lord had made a covenant with David, promising that the Messiah would actually be one of his descendants. And so you would actually see it even in the context of a, of a bigger story. So what it's saying is that the individual story of Ruth's life and Naomi's life and Boaz's life, yeah, it's interesting, it has redemptive elements, but actually it fits into God's purposes, that not only through David, but actually for the, for the whole world, through the Messiah, God's purposes that stretch from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 21. It's far bigger than just them. And I believe that this is also what you and I need, that, that we need maybe not a genealogy, but we need some connection point in our life to say, are the nitty-gritty details that I experience connected to something bigger, and something bigger that God is doing in the world? And so with that in mind, let's, we'll conclude our, our series today by just looking at two strands in the story that, that we, they've been unfolding throughout, but we see them really coming to a climax in these final verses. And, and it shows us how our story could relate to God's big story of redemption. And um, so really these, these two strands are, the first one is the story of marriage. And then the second is the, the story of conception and birth. So the, the story of marriage, in the story of, of conception and birth. And really, you see both of those strands coming out in verse 13. If you look there again in, in your Bible, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Story of marriage. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And there's the, the story of, of conception and birth. So let's start with that first strand, then, the, the story of marriage. And we, we've talked about marriage a lot in this series because so much of the drama has been surrounding they're not married, they want to be married, as it, it's moving towards um, this goal. And so it meets this climax here in our passage where finally the story comes together. But just think back on the story of marriage that has unfolded in, in the book, um, for Ruth especially. Um, first, she married uh, Machlon, uh, this, this man who had fled from Israel to Moab to escape a famine. And at that point, when, when she got married, she was a pagan, worshiping the god Chemosh in a, in a pagan land. And so, really, if you think about it, it was an unbiblical marriage that the Lord was very clear that, that Machlon should not have married somebody outside of the covenant community as an Israelite. Uh, that he actually sinned by marrying Ruth, which, just as a side note, shows God's faithfulness, that even when, when we make bad decisions, how God uses those bad decisions still to, to work good and, and for his glory, as he did through, through Ruth. 
But then, after being married for, for 10 years, uh, Machlon died, leaving Ruth alone. And, and that's actually then where the, the tide begins to change in her story a little bit, where she begins to, to see, I don't know what attitude she had to marriage before that, but she sees that, that marriage is not the most important thing in life, that, that marriage is not ultimately the thing that defines who she is. Because if that were the thing that defined her, she would have been better off staying back in Moab. And made a big deal of this back in chapter one, that her best prospects for remarriage were in her own homeland. But instead, what she did was she chose to, to leave her homeland, to leave the prospects, at least at that point it seemed like, for remarriage, in order to follow Yahweh, the God of Israel, and to covenant herself to Naomi, to this other widow, her, her mother-in-law, to, to follow her, to, to change her, her reference point from being a Moabite to in the people of Israel. So this, this major shift. And she may have then resigned herself to singleness and thinking, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to be with Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. But then that, that changed when she met Boaz. And so then she moved from somebody who's single, this widow, uh, perhaps resigned to singleness, who then suddenly is single, wanting to be married. But then Boaz isn't making any moves. He's not pursuing her, it seems like. And so she takes matters into her own hands. She bucks her, her culture and her time, and she proposes to Boaz on the threshing floor. And then through some roundabout ways um, and some other legal matters we talked about last uh, week, they end up getting married and, and coming together. And, and this, the second marriage then for Ruth is, is so different from the first, where the first time she was a pagan marrying a disobedient Israelite in a foreign land. And then here she is marrying uh, probably one of the most godly men in Israel. She is a, a daughter of Israel, a complete change and transformation in her story of marriage. But really then, as you think about that, that individual story of, of marriage for Ruth, um, their marriage then becomes this signpost that, that points beyond itself to something bigger. And we see that in, in the genealogy, that it connects into a, a bigger story. But then also just the, the nature of their, their marriage, um, the fact that, that she is this person who is outside of the covenant that was alienated from the promises of God that then is brought near through a, this kinsman redeemer and is restored and renewed. And, and we've seen throughout the series again every week that that points forward so much to Jesus and to his work for us that he is the kinsman redeemer who, who brings us near to him so that we can become his, his bride so that he can, he can purify us and, and wash us. And that's why the, the language of scripture is that we are at the church together is the bride of Christ, that we are the unfaithful bride whom God loves despite our unfaithfulness. And then he sacrifices himself. The, the father sends his son to, to die so that we can be brought, brought near. And that's where even the end of the Bible. In Revelation, we see the marriage supper of the Lamb, the church, the church presented before the Father um, as the spotless bride with, with Christ. And, and so really then, the, the entire Bible teaches that marriage isn't our idea. 
It's not something that the people just made up because we think it, it's something good. That, that God actually instituted marriage back in Genesis 2 when he said that a, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and, and the two shall become one flesh. But then it's interesting that, that Jesus, talking about marriage in his ministry, said that in, in heaven there's not going to be marriage. He says there's going to be no we're not going to be given in marriage. And, and you think, well, what does that have to do with God giving marriage at the beginning? Well, really, in terms of the biblical storyline, this big story, it's saying that, that marriage, at every single marriage, our, my marriage, your marriage, if you're, if you're married, Boaz and Ruth's marriage, they're all intended to point beyond themselves to something bigger, to, to Christ and the church. And so you can think about it kind of like a, a movie preview. Um, you know, some movie previews are really, really good, uh, especially if you're excited about the movie. Um, for instance, um, back in the early 2000s, I was a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, and, and so, you know, one movie coming out a year, I would get so excited for the movie that I would watch the preview over and over again, uh, to the place where you could probably, you know, I could probably recite the, the preview. But what's interesting is when the, when the pre, once the movie comes out and I see it in theater and then you get it on DVD, you don't need to watch the preview anymore. I've not watched any of the Lord of the Rings previews since the movies came out. And that, and that wasn't because there was something wrong with the previews or they didn't have a purpose, but again, that it was a purpose within a bigger story, within a bigger arc, that it was pointing to something else, preparing the way for something else. And that's the way it is for marriage, that it's this preview for marriage between Christ and the church, and, and so that marriage has this really important role through all of human history while we wait for that final installment that still hasn't come yet. And so really, that is a way for us to begin to think about the way that the story of the Bible, this story of, of marriage that stretches throughout scripture, relates to each and every one of us here. Because every person here has a different story of marriage. That, that some of you may be single wanting to be married. You're, you're like Ruth, right after she met Boaz. And singleness can be something that is, is really painful. It can be, be difficult and, and longing to be um, in a marriage. But when we look at our story in light of God's big story, in light of the story of, of marriage of the Christ and, and the church, it really helps us make sense of, of singleness and, and dealing with that. That, that we, can, we can know that, that ultimately marriage is, is a great preview, but it's not the ultimate final thing. And so for somebody who's repented and, and trusted in Jesus, they have the final thing. They will be able to watch the final movie. Um, and so they, they have the thing to which the other uh, is pointing, which it gives this incredible resource of, of strength and hope to, to wrestle through the, the real difficulties of singleness. But then also, some of you may be in a different place. Instead of being single wanting to be married, you could be married wanting to be single. Um, and, and maybe you feel like you're, you're in a place where, where you're trapped in a marriage, you wonder if there is a way out, and again, it's the big story of redemption, of, of God's purposes in marriage that gives a context for that and helps us to understand and wrestle through that. That since marriage isn't just something that, that we made up, it's not just about us and our own personal 
uh, fulfillment that it gives us a model of what it looks like to, to continue loving and serving others even when it's hard or when it's difficult. And that's really what the Apostle Paul means in Ephesians 5 where he says that the husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Uh, and so what he's saying is that you want to know how to love? Well, look, look at what marriage is actually meant to point to. And to love the, the, the bride as, as Christ loved the church. And that's loving when it's, when it's hard, when maybe the person is, can be, be difficult to love, but that's what we are, are called to. But then again, some of you may not be in either one of those places of married or wanting to be married, but some, some of you may actually be in a place where you've lost a, a marriage, maybe through, through death of a loved one, maybe through divorce. And so you, you, there's a place of, of grief, of, of wondering what is God doing in your own story, wondering, okay, this is not the story that I would have written for myself, so what is God doing? And so if that is where you are and you find yourself, the big story of, of redemption gives so much hope and life in that. And just look at, even for Ruth and, and Naomi, both people who experienced loss of a husband, they both uh, became widows, that at the end here, the story, what they experience um, is beyond what they could have hoped or imagined, that, it, that they have this restoration of life and, and hope. But that was just in, in this earthly sense. But again, for somebody who is in Christ, who has put their, their faith in, in Jesus, um, that we have the, this promise that is rooted in, in God's word, that is sealed by the blood of Christ, that the worst things that somebody may have experienced in, in marriage, maybe pain of being married or pain of loss of a marriage, that all of those things will be swallowed up and, and restored in the marriage supper of the Lamb and in the work of Christ for us, um, that we have lost nothing that will not be infinitely supplied in Jesus. But then at the, at the same time, even the best that has been experienced in marriage, the best moments of any marriage are still only previews. And so if, we, if you're at a place of loving being married, you can say that, that the, the best is yet to come and we should make us excited and and longing for Christ and for his work. And this is what the Apostle Paul means in 2 Corinthians when he says that this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And this light momentary affliction is life, all the pains of life that is preparing us for the eternal weight of, gl of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And this is also what, what John means in, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, where he describes the, the reality of heaven like this, that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So that is how the, the big story of redemption begins to impact our story of marriage. But now let's turn to that second strand in our passage, the, the story of birth and conception. Look again at, at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, 
And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And so even then here, Ruth's individual story of birth and conception had a lot of twists and turns. I mean, she was married for, for 10 years in Moab, never had any children. And so we can, we can speculate about that, but it's really fair to guess that she probably had the, the pain of infertility, which perhaps some of you have uh, experienced as well, hoping for a child, desiring a child, but having it is not coming. But then her husband dies, and she resigns herself potentially to singleness as she accompanies Naomi to Israel, and, and so thinking, maybe I'll never have children at all. But then the Lord changes the story, redeems the story. She meets Boaz. They get married. And it says in our text that the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And just look at that, the language, that it's the Lord who gave her conception. That the Bible teaches throughout the whole story of the Bible, that God is the one who gives conception and birth. And you can think of the couples in the Bible that struggled with, with infertility. Um, Ruth, as an example, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Rachel and Jacob, Manoah and his wife, Hannah and Elkanah, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and those are just to, to name a few. But in each of their cases, what, what came through the, the pain of the infertility was that God is actually the one who's in control and that God is sovereign and that he's not withholding good things from his people, but he's actually doing something that is working ultimately for his glory and for our good. And so if that is your story, if, that, if it is wanting a child but not having a child, then this is a place where the story of redemption makes a huge difference to know that God is in control, that, that he is working, that he's loving and he's good, and, and he, the, the, the story of redemption is going to be perfect, and the end, ending is perfect on our part in that. But then, of course, you might say, well, yeah, I believe that. I believe God is the one who gives conception. I believe he's in control. But still, I, what if I never have a child? What if my life, I go through the rest of my life this way? And this is, I think, where we, in our text, we learn something very interesting from Naomi not just from Ruth. That Remember that, that Naomi is somebody who had two biological children, both died, and so she was left without children at all. And, and in chapter one of Ruth, she, she laments, she, she weeps for the fact that she will probably die without children. It seemed completely hopeless. But then the Lord moved in, in marvelous ways and, and provided Ruth for her. Um, and and then throughout the book, she, she calls Ruth my daughter. Um, and then look at our, in our text in verse 15, uh, the way that Ruth describes herself to Naomi. She, says, she calls herself, your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. And so she's saying that I am more to you than seven sons, uh, which is, I mean, it almost sounds arrogant to say more, more than seven sons, by the way. Uh, but it's true that that Ruth was led to faith by Naomi. She was brought from being a, a, a pagan worshiper of Timosh in Moab to an, an Israelite worshiper of, of Yahweh in Israel through the influence of Naomi, despite how confused and broken she was throughout the whole entire story. And so Naomi becomes then this spiritual parent to Ruth in, in a really 
remarkable way. And so this, I think, shows us something really interesting about conception and, and childbirth here in our, our own story, in our own lives, that some of you here don't have children and you don't want children. And that's okay, that, that the Bible is, that, that that is a right thing, that's fine. Um, and some of you don't have children and you want children. Again, the, the Bible doesn't say that either one of those is a right or wrong feeling to have. But what the Bible does say is that in light of the bigger story of redemption, that we can have spiritual children. We're actually called to have spiritual children, to see spiritual conception and birth. And you might say, well, what are you talking about? Well, well Jesus talks about this in his ministry. He says that in order to even see the kingdom of heaven, you must be, what? Born again. That you, you must, in order to be born again by the Spirit. And just like our physical birth is a work of God, our spiritual birth is a, a work of God as we're, as we're brought from, from death to life. But also, just as in physical birth, people play a role in it, um, so in spiritual birth, like God uses us to, to lead other people to, to faith in, in his sovereignty. And this is why the, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s um, and when he was lecturing to his students, he says that, that a pastor, when he's preaching, that they should be longing to beget spiritual children, which you're kind of, okay, what do you mean, Spurgeon? Well, he's, he's saying that, that that is this longing that God would, would use us to, to bring people from death to, to life and, and to bring about spiritual new birth through the gospel. And this was, think of Paul, somebody who did not have children. He and it was never married and was used mightily by the Lord and then writes to Timothy and to Titus, and he calls them my children in the, in the Lord, that, that he had many spiritual children whom he, he had led to the Lord, whom he had discipled, whom he had raised up in their faith. And so, yeah, we, we might go through periods of, of spiritual infertility, longing to see people come to know the Lord, uh, but this desire to see people know him and grow in him through us, this isn't something just for, for pastors. It is something for for each and every one of us who knows and, and loves Christ, um, to have the opportunity to be used by God in the influence of others. And that's exactly what Jeff was talking about for us earlier, of you know, bringing people to the foot of Christ. And, and wouldn't it be cool, though, if as, if as we're doing that, that people look really different from us? Because in, in physical birth, kids look like their parents. But in, in spiritual birth and new birth, it, people can look really different. That, I mean, think of Ruth, the Moabite, Naomi, the Israelite, the traditional enemies being brought near, which I mean, shows God's heart to bring in every tribe and tongue and, and nation into the kingdom. And so that is, that's our, our calling. So though, just as we, we wrap up today, though, you might remember the, what I said at the beginning about the, the genealogy at the end here. And, and I, was, I was saying that that they're the individual stories of Ruth, Naomi, Boaz. They fit into God's big story of redemption. And really, it's true for us as well that, that, that we need some connection point, some place to put our lives in the context of what God's doing. And you can think about it like words. Some words, we know what they mean we look, when we look at them individually, but even with the same spelling, they can have different meanings. Um, and so you need then the, the context of the sentence to know what the word means. 
but then maybe you don't know what the sentence means. You need the context of the, the entire paragraph and then the context of the book or then of the series, of the genre, and, and so on and so forth, that, that we make sense of things in light of this, this bigger context. And so as we, we wrestle through in our own lives, um, our lives are unique. They're different. They're not the same as each other, not the same as Ruth and Boaz. But, but what is the connection point from our lives to the big story of redemption? It, it's not a, a genealogy <laughs> at the end. We're not biologically related to Jesus like Ruth and, and Boaz were. But still, our, our connection point to this big story of redemption is, in fact, Jesus Christ himself. Because Jesus invaded the story of the world 2,000 years ago when he was born and when he died and rose again from the dead and, and transformed this, the story of fall into a story of redemption. And it's the same for our individual stories that, that Jesus Christ invades the story of our lives and brings the, through the you know, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And it is in him, through his spirit, that we experience that life and, and that new birth that comes. And it is ultimately then this meal that points us in, in the right direction. Because th this meal as well positions us within, within the story. Because we come as, as individuals with individual struggles, uh, individual pain and joys, whether that is in, in marriage or conception and, and birth or singleness or a host of other things that we face in life. But when, when we come here to this table, we're, we're, it's, this is a form of the genealogy at the end of the, of the story that, that raises our horizon beyond just ourselves because it, it points us back in, in the same way that the genealogy pointed back in history to the work of Jesus, that he, he died for us, his blood was shed for us. But then it also points us forward to the very end of the story and, and the celebration that we'll have at the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so here we are in, in the present looking to the past and, and the future in this bigger story. Then it gives light to, to the struggles and the pain of, of where you are right now.